So hi, my name is Amantha Chia from Asian Legal Business. In this episode, we speak with Gabriella Kennedy on women leadership and mentoring. Gabriella is partner at Mayor Brown and head of the Asia IP and TMT Group. She's also co-leader of Mayor Brown's global IP practice and a member of the firm's global cybersecurity and data privacy practice. She is based in Hong Kong, and through her leadership roles within the firm and outside organizations, Gabriella has realized her strong commitment to developing an inclusive and supportive work environment, advancing gender equality and women leadership, and giving back to the community. As a leader, Gabriella champions many of Mayor Brown's diversity initiatives and provides mentorship to lawyers on professional development. We will hear from her in just a bit. So, Gabriella, thank you so much for joining our Ask ALB podcast today. It's great to have you here with us. Uh, let's start with an introduction first. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, something that is beyond the official biography? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me uh, to participate in this podcast. Something about myself, I guess uh, if you had told the uh, 16-year-old Gabriella uh, that she would become a lawyer, she would have laughed in your face and said, that's the last job in the world that I would end up doing. Uh, At the time, I was writing plays, I was uh, staging the plays and acting in them. I was very keen on becoming the world's next uh, best-known fiction writer, and I was translating uh, poetry. In fact, I went to university full of these dreams and uh, embarked upon a study of English literature and French literature. But life is never simple uh, and it doesn't turn out as you plan it. Um, So I ended up doing something else and we'll talk about that later. Um, What else can I tell you about myself? I am um, a very sporty person and in fact another dream that I had when I was young and I was captain of my handball team was to become an Olympian. And when I told my father uh, about this dream, he was a banker and a very uh, straight-laced person. He advised me to take up chess instead. (laughs) I didn't become uh, a champion in chess, uh, but I retained the love of um, the outdoors. So I am a keen hiker. At one point, I did alpinism. I used to ski. Alas, uh, alas, living in in Asia does not offer the same opportunities as I would have had had I stayed in Europe. But but I do yoga, and one day I hope uh, to perfect my arm stand. That is so interesting and you sound so balanced, right? You're not just a lawyer, but very keen and very outdoorsy. That sounds great. Um, You have this, um, you know, really you are a formal theoretical linguist and you speak several European languages, right? So you mentioned that you have all this ambition translating poetry, you're doing English and French literature. What led you to your career as a lawyer? And, you know, having that diverse background, did it help you in a different, you know, being in a different field now and in the legal work? Yes, I think it's circumstances. So I went to university to study literature and I discovered that the most inspirational teachers and people were people who were studying theoretical linguistics. So I attended a lecture on theoretical linguistics and I was hooked. Uh, And then I switched courses. So I ended up acquiring lots of languages. So uh, because um, I had studied Romance languages, I really acquired all the Latin-based languages. And I found the 
analytical skills that one develops through painstaking research in theoretical linguistics, incredible uh, and incredibly transferable skills when I became a lawyer. And that was, again, you know, circumstances because I came to Hong Kong. Uh, I married uh, uh, my husband and almost at the door of the church, he told me that he had got a job in Her Majesty's service here in Hong Kong. He was going to be uh, a civil servant at the time. And first of all, I laughed because he's Irish and I thought, mm, I really don't see you doing this. But uh, um, here we were, we arrived in Hong Kong a long, long time ago, and I was a theoretical linguist, I was an academic. I knocked on the doors of all the universities and nobody was doing uh, research in my field. And I would have had to move to uh, applied linguistics, which was not something that I was going to contemplate. It's like, you know, telling an IP lawyer, tomorrow you're going to be a property lawyer. Mm, not quite the same. Uh, so I decided to um, you know, teach at a few universities. I was teaching various courses, including some in philosophy, history of art, literature. And at one point, um, unfortunately for me, my husband and I ended up in the same department and he was about to become my boss. And at that point, <laughs> I said that I really had to do something different. So I embarked upon uh, the study of, uh, of law. And when I um, you know, started in, uh, as a lawyer, I realized how important the study of language, you know, lawyers are paid for their words and you've got to be very careful and measured. And um, precision is so important when you're delivering uh, advice and logic uh, as well. So, you know, highly transferable skills and also painstaking research. Um, you know, lawyers, you know, um, when I was a, a junior lawyer, uh, I knew that stood me in great stead. And now at this stage in my career, I can tell immediately when research is presented to me, uh, whether it's been well done or not, and I can question it uh, very well. Um, so, yeah, I think in, all in all, it worked out for me. It's quite interesting to say that, uh, to hear that you say your husband was going to be your boss, uh, that really pushed you in a direction, right? And then, you know, it was a, it was a clear choice. It was a, a decision that you made. Um, so your husband is still at the university now? He is an honorary professor, yes, at the university. You wear so many hats, right? And apart from being a very successful lawyer, you are also active in supporting associates and counsels to remain at the firm and to pursue partnership. And this allows them to serve as important role models for other diverse lawyers. Um, it is very often that in a flexible and supportive environment uh, that brings out the best in people. So what do you think are some of the key qualities of successful leadership in the legal space today? And what sort of advice would you give our audience to go about developing these uh, qualities that can help them succeed? No, it's interesting. In any profession, uh, you spend a lot of time um, actually learning the skills that make you good at your job. And if you're good at your job, you get promoted to positions of leadership, but there is no school for leadership <laughs> that anybody sends you to before you are promoted. So I think that is something that you observe. You can only learn by observing you know, people that have been successful in, uh, before you. Uh, and you learn what has made them successful leaders. So I think for 
for us as lawyers, uh, empathy, good listening skills, I would say, a very high EQ. If you want to be a good leader that leads a team and motivates them, you've got to be attuned to all the the moods, the requirements, the sensitivities, the uh, what drives and motivates people. Um, of course, you've got to be decisive and consistent in your decisions. There is nothing worse than sending conflicting signals to a team and not actually putting them on the course that they want uh, to be on. And Honesty and steadfastness. There are very few people who are honest about their own mistakes and owning the fact that we are not perfect. Nobody is perfect. No leader is perfect. And owning and being honest about the moments that are difficult for you as a leader makes for you know somebody who is more credible and ultimately gets the um, the team around her. I'd also say that having a vision and being able to get to a place where the vision is shared with your team is one that would make you uh, a really good. Uh, leader and an inspiring uh, leader. And finally, but not finally, this probably should come as the first and most important thing because our theme is mentorship. As a leader, you've got to be interested in mentoring people and bringing them up. It's not just about the target and winning the battle uh, and uh, the, the immediate fight. If you want to win the war, if you want to be the one that is, you know, remembered as a very good leader, is the one that has invested in people and brought them up, you know, with her all along. Thank you so much for sharing that, Gabriella. I I really agree and I love how you mentioned empathy and being sensitive to people because leadership is really that. Right? You, you you go from a point where you are really good at what you do, whether you're a lawyer or in my case, let's say a journalist and so on. But once you become uh, a certain level, then it really becomes a skill set of managing people and getting people to go in the direction that you, you, you see. Um, you know, as a woman leader, especially, I guess, in, in certain parts of Asia, the higher you go, um, you could very easily become a minority in the boardroom. How do you overcome that? And what, what do you think is hindering emerging women at the workplace, right, to become better versions of themselves? And, and where is your role in this? Right? What do you think can, can be done more to address this and help them and, and, you know, as they emerge and, and, and you know, get more experience and observe other leaders? I like the fact that you are talking about the minority in the room. My advice to any woman who finds that she's a minority in a room is to always wear colorful clothes because that <laughs> you be seen and remember uh, to, to be seen all the time. I'd like to turn your question on its head a little bit because it's a loaded question. You talk about women being better versions of themselves. And, you know, if we were to dissect this question, I would posit that the question is loaded with unconscious bias. Yeah, this is the first thing that we need to tackle. Um, you know, why should we be better versions of ourselves? Should we not argue that every woman should aspire to be just herself? Uh, and not a, and, and that we should create working environments where women can be just that. 
and be recognized for who they are and celebrated for who they are and for the contributions that they make. And again, if we look at, you know, how do we get there? We have a lot of things that are stacked up against us. Of course, I mentioned the unconscious bias, and that is huge. It is huge and it is everywhere and it is not going away, unfortunately. We can talk about a lot of progress that we have made, but we are still hindered all the time by unconscious bias. And we also have a lot of cultural expectations, especially in this part of the world, that we have to deal with, that hold women back a lot. And the, the question and the issue that we're beginning, just beginning to address, which is the power struggle within the family unit. Right? So, unless and until we have sorted that out, and that takes decades of education, that's a lot that is put on the shoulders of us as mothers, you know, to educate the next generation on how they look at women, how they look at women in the family unit, how they look at women in, the, in society, how they look at women in the workplace. And we can't just expect for it to come from the organization that is creating the extra time for women, is giving the longer uh, maternity leave. We need to get to a place where we don't talk just about maternity leave. We talk about childcare leave that is given equally to men and women. We need to get to a place where culturally it is okay for men to take up that time and to share in the uh, in the duty of, of bringing up the, the, the child uh, if you want. And I would also like to say, to say that every woman who will probably listen to your podcast will recall a time when in a conference call she has had things mansplained to her or will tell you, uh, and now I can channel Maggie Thatcher, that as a woman you have to work twice as hard to be recognized half as much as a man. Luckily, this is not difficult. So I look forward to times when women will have it even easier than now. That's so relevant, and uh, thank you for correcting me, right? Um, Gabriella, you also mentioned this, that I think it's so timely because the pandemic in the last 24 months has um, shown the impact uh, and the responsibility in a family unit uh, on the men and the woman has been different, right? We, we see quite a number of reports um, on the impact of the pandemic and that responsibility uh, at home has fallen on the women. Um, I, I don't know, you know, what, you know, the continuation of this pandemic and, and the impact on the family unit and, and, and on women is going to, you know, continue um, and worsen as this drags on. You're absolutely right. In fact, statistically, more women have given up full-time work than men because of the pandemic and, you know, all the issues that are around it to do with childcare, to do yeah. with care for the elderly, members of family, uh, and the space that you have in the, in the family home uh, to, uh, to do your work and who has to take, you know, precedence. That's right. That's right. So I think the role of the mentor you mentioned earlier, mentoring um, associates and, and counsels, um, they can obviously provide a great deal in helping 
women uh, through the new and unprecedented challenges, right? And you've also set up Mayor Brown's in the No Network in 2014, and you are the co-chair and lead driver of this initiative. And you bring together senior executive women from different industries for Mayor Brown's women leaders to exchange ideas. So what do you think are some of the key benefits of women mentoring other women at the workplace? Well, I think it's um, it's about learning how it is done, what you need to do, and how you can get the support of other women. And finally, how easy it is once you get in a room with other women. It's such a non-threatening you know, environment. It's so easy to get business done. And there is also such an energy and so much inspiration that you can get from other people uh, who have achieved uh, a lot. But, you know, if we're seriously now, if we're talking about uh, mentorship, I think being a mentor is not easy. Mm. If, if anybody tells you that being a, a mentor is easy, they're not doing the job well, because if you all you do is you allot blocks of time and contextualize the mentoring to um, uh, the job, to, to me, that is just a job half done. Mentoring is long term. It involves an interest in the individual as a person, as uh, an, an individual outside the work context, um, only, you know, if you help them through, you know, life issues and all sorts of, you know, things and have an emotional and intellectual availability um, that cannot be dished out in measured scoops that are, you know, the allotted time of, of one hour, only then you are actually making uh, an impact. And, you know, I would say that, you know, you know, in the know, you know, has shown us that um, women find it very difficult to network. And if you try to emulate the way it is done uh, by, by men, it's not going to work. If you look at the, um, and that is something that uh, we discovered when we decided to set up this network, which is that um, our women clients are not available in the evenings. They don't prefer a breakfast meeting, but a lunchtime meeting, and especially a lunchtime meeting when the topic of the conversation is um, stimulating. It's nothing to do with law, but uh, something to do with interesting and topical uh, issues. And it's an opportunity to meet other women at the same level is extraordinary. And to, to be able to bring in the more junior you know, women in the firm to see the senior women networking, to see how easy it is, is can be very, very powerful. But so, you know, on mentorship, if I would, you know, um, you know, conclude on women mentoring women, I would say that actually we should be gender agnostic when it comes to mentorship. You should, you know, as a mentee, just choose a good mentor. Uh, but, you know, if we come back to, to women who are mentors, women at the top should remember to send the elevator down. Or to me, even better, they should take the stairs down themselves from time to time. It's such a fantastic exercise. So, Gabriella, you said a couple of things, right? How should women network? Uh, we shouldn't network in the way that men network. You mentioned lunchtime meetings. We need a bit more flexibility. Maybe evenings, mornings are not suitable. And 
you know, junior women coming in to observe. What is the advice that you would give younger women starting out their careers, right? Let's say someone who, who, who is five, maybe 10 years, less than sub 10 years um, at, the, at the workplace, career that you would use yourself, maybe, you know, you give yourself if you could turn back time, that would really help them gain confidence, network more effectively. Um, and, you know, there would be practical tips uh, for starting out and, and going into mid-career, maybe we're trying to take a more senior position. Uh, I think a lot of the time lawyers, you know, um, focus too much on just the law. You know, I, I used to ask the question of, um, you know, potential trainees, what is the difference between a, a good lawyer and a successful lawyer? And they were stumped by the question because to them, you know, if you just say you're a good lawyer, it means that you're going to be successful. No, you're not going to be successful if you're just technically good. You have to have people skills. And it's very difficult to develop and hone those people skills if all you have to talk about is just law. <laughs> You're not going to be a very interesting, yes. you know, interlocutor and person on the on the cocktail party circuit. So my advice would be develop interests outside the law, but some that can be, you know, if you look at it, you know, uh, have uh, networks. And think of networks as, you know, they, when you throw a pebble on the water and you have all those, you know, circles forming around. So one leads to the next uh, volunteer for uh, work that interests you. You cannot fake it. You cannot. You have to be yourself. And by being yourself and doing something that you're passionate about, you're going to develop a network outside the usual legal network. And that network is going to give you the inspiration. Sometimes that network can help you solve the most difficult legal questions because they look at things totally differently than you do as a lawyer. So my advice would be network, 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 but not just in legal circles, but volunteer in different committees, uh, have people see you uh, in action. And above all, love what you're doing. If you don't like what you're doing, uh, it's very difficult to to fake that, you know, passion for, for what you're doing and to inspire potential people who might uh, want to instruct you. That's so true, right? I think, yeah, this time management, finding time to network, meeting new people has maybe benefits that's not immediately realized. And yeah, that's right. I think the more people you know, the more, you know, you, you can see beyond your own perspective and then that really helps. So, Gabriella, before we end this call, right, do you still have any advice or, or sharing that you would like with our um, audience? I can feel, you know, you talk about passion and you truly believe in a lot of these things that you do that will really create the benefits. Um, any any final words um, for, for our audience? Oh, I think it's just uh, uh, love what you're doing, um, read read a lot uh, and not just uh, legal stuff. You know, it, you know, it, you can be uh, develop a, a, an interest in, you know, literature, um, um, ideas books. Ideas books are amazing and, uh, and, and in fields that are not uh, yours. Be intellectually curious uh, and engage in conversations with, um, you know, people who are uh, intellectually curious, but also Given the high-pressure work that we do uh, as lawyers, remember to look after yourself. 
if you don't look after yourself, um, you know, then things begin to fall apart. And this is why carving out that time when you can uh, do outdoors activities, when you can, you know, take up a sport, when you can find time to socialize and, uh, and meet people will give you the energy that you need to sustain you uh, through, through your uh, career. So remember that is, you know, absolutely the most important thing, you know, find time for yourself. And now we have the advantage that flexible working environments that are will be here to stay thanks to the pandemic, we can all carve out that time. So there is no excuse uh, left for anybody not to look after themselves. I think that's so true before the pandemic, that's true now. I think being a lawyer is one of those professions where you can't say that's work-life balance. It's, it's, it's not one of those uh, jobs that you can come in and expect a lot of that. Um, yeah, but it, it sounds right. I mean, ch times are changing and the last 24 years, with 24 months with the pandemic, we've also seen the use of technology, lawyers working from home, all unprecedented at first. And I think this industry is shifting, right? It's changing, um, yeah, as, as, we, as we go forward. So thank you very much for your time today. Uh, thank you for sharing your perspectives. Um, you know, really, really nice uh, to have you here with us today. My pleasure, Samantha. Thank you so much. Thank you. With that, we would like to thank everyone for joining us today. Remember, Ask ALB can be streamed on iTunes, Spotify or Google Podcasts. And we'll catch you in the next episode.